This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show, the award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris. And once again, our guest is Doug Duncan, Chief Economist of Fannie Mae. Somewhere right before May of 2022, the word, uh, well, let's say, I don't know how long it was used, transitory inflation was considered uh, what we were facing. And all of a sudden we decided that wasn't that wasn't true. Was, <laughs> was the waiting, when you look back, was the waiting for that rise? I don't know. Did it, did it really add to the asset values going crazy for longer? Well, um, of course, inflation had picked up, which is why the Fed used the word transitory. Right. I started uh, making a joke uh, of it, um, telling people, look, I, I looked the word up in my Oxford English Dictionary, and it says not permanent. <laughs> I have a Ford F-150. I could drive through that hole. Yeah. Um, but uh, my point was there's more to the story of supply and its contribution to inflation than the temporary effects of health concerns related to the virus. Because we were looking around the world, as we always do, and we saw a significant rise in geopolitical risk. There were there was increasing tensions with China. There were increasing tension, tensions with Russia. There were things going on in the Middle East. We, we looked at all those and we said, there's actually two things going on. Yes, part of this is a function of disruption of normal supply uh, deliveries because businesses are worried about their staff. And, and the interaction of their staff in the presence of this disease. And then others in global food chains have the same issue. And so, for example, the boats off of Long Beach uh, lined up waiting to get into the port were evidence of temporary bottlenecks in those supply chains. But the geopolitical risks that we saw rising let us to say there is a second thing that's going to happen is supply chains are going to get restructured because of geopolitical risks, and that's time-consuming and expensive. And I don't know what you read, but in the last six weeks, there have been at least four major articles about companies attempting to restructure their supply chains and how difficult and expensive that is. Okay. So within a month of the Fed using the word transitory, we made that statement and we've been consistent on that ever since. The other thing that we mentioned that plays into the inflation numbers in a similar way is energy prices. Mm -hmm. And we said, if decarbonization continues to be a policy objective, it is time consuming and expensive as well. And that will underlie the challenges both of inflation and economic growth, as does the supply chain restructuring. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, so 
starting in May of 2022 to May of 2023, we've had a we've had a pretty fast bump in rates. Yeah, is is that historic in speed? Um, it it is the I believe it is the fastest ever. They may have been in the in the uh, initial Volcker years. I'll have to go back and look at the data for sure. But it, if it's not the fastest, there may only be one other instance. Yeah, I think they might have had more moves, but I don't think it was as fast uh, trajectory. Think, that's true. I, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, does does the resilience of the real estate market at this point? So this has sort of been progressing now for a year, mm -hmm. and you know, if you go to YouTube, there's all kinds of uh, things going back a year that the real estate market's going to crash and it's all over and has it played out? It's played out a lot differently than that. So I just want to know what it, what your take is. What what did you see a year ago, and and what do you see going forward? Um, uh, a year ago, our initial estimates of uh, peak to trough house price declines were about ten percent. Uh, currently, our thinking is about half of that. And that's that that's encompasses what already has occurred. So that, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Is, isn't that astonishing that you, rates have doubled and that's the damage? It is. It's pretty amazing. Um, and there's two or three factors that are playing into that, primarily supply. Um, it, the boomers are doing exactly what they said they were going to do. They are aging in place. They're, they're going nowhere. And what was learned on the... Uh, remote provision of healthcare through technology uh, actually extends the time that they can stay in their homes. If you can get uh -huh. healthcare over the internet by holding your iPad up to the affected area, uh, <laughs> it's it's an efficiency maneuver. It will keep you in your house longer, right? It might so keep the doctor in their house too because they don't have to rent an office. That's exactly that is exactly right. It's we we still haven't seen all the implications of of what was learned. That's one thing. Okay. The second thing is the group that never gets talked about, which is the Gen Xers. Uh, I'm giving them some airtime. Uh, they locked in two and a half to four percent mortgages, and there's no reason for them to go anywhere either. So th that lock-in effect, combined with the aging of the boomers in place, has seriously constrained the amount of existing home supply that's available. And that's typically the place that first-time buyers go is to existing homes, which they then put in some sweat equity. And then when they do a move up, they take the equity from that and often then buy a new home as a second home or a third home. But this, this time is different because of that supply constraint. Much more of the weight is on the back of the builder who still has struggled to catch up with the, the uh, production uh, because of all the disruptions of the 07 to 09 downturn. Well, I, I would think they probably had, like they were biting their nails uh, six months ago going, oh yeah, we're, our volume's gonna die. And then what, what's really interesting, we've taken time to look at the percentage of the market that's new versus existing homes. Mm -hmm. So the like a, a terrible year would be like oh nine it's only thirteen percent but right. even in a boom year it's twenty one right. so seventy nine to eighty six percent of that inventory 
is supposed to come from existing houses. Right. Well, even if your sales volume is down by 40%, which in California it is, you still have a shortage of what's for sale. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. And that has been a factor in keeping house prices up. Uh, and and so our, our current thinking is peak to trough, maybe a 5% decline. And it's very different geographically. Um, the, if you look at the western half of the United States, most of those markets have seen some of them significant price declines in specific margin markets. On the eastern and midwestern uh, uh, parts of the United States, there's still markets where prices are rising today as opposed to declining. So there is a big geographical uh, distribution difference. I've, I've um, in, in conversations with audiences that include both multifamily and commercial plus residential people, the, the, um, phrase that I'm using to describe that is the geospatial distribution of real estate <laughs> values. Okay. So geospatial means the, the spaces in geography where value in real estate is changing are uh, impacting both residential and commercial properties and they're linked through employment. So, what the work from home effort does is it weakens that link geographically between the, where you live and where you work. Right. And so we're seeing some structural shifts in by markets, particularly secondary and tertiary markets, which are by definition less expensive for residential housing. You're seeing some shifts in that space and in the high cost markets, you, you may see more declines in the commercial, particularly office space, than in those lower cost geographies. Um, the percentage of people that are currently upside down in value to their mortgage, is it like very, very, very small? Yeah, it, it, uh, tiny. Okay, which is not true at the last peak at all. So that's a very oh, big gotcha. difference. Yeah. The other thing too, is that, you know, you've really had aggressive rent raising. Mm -hmm. So you're, if you're making a decision, okay. And you've got a two and a half percent mortgage. Uh, you could actually rent that thing for positive cash flow If you lost your job and had to go somewhere, that's unusual. So that's a choice. Yeah. One of the things that we've noted is that um, if you move from a high cost market to a low cost market, it's possible that the size of mortgage that you have to take in that new low cost market is low enough that even though interest rates on that mortgage is greater, your payment may be the same or lower. Absolutely. Well, we're, you know, we're, we're doing spec homes in Florida where the buyers very often from New York. Well, there you could have a 50% mortgage on your house and own something nicer in Florida free and clear. Right. Exactly. So definitely I'd rather be sitting in Florida than California because not too many places can migrate to California profitably. That's right. Yeah. And that's all part of that geospatial value of real estate. 
And it's um, possible also, I think some of the Gen Xers may become investors. So another way that that can work is that you've locked in a 3% mortgage on the property that you have today, but you, you have to move or you want to move to a different location. You can rent that one out and rents in many markets are higher than what it was to purchase at that point in time. Right. So the, the surplus of rent over that mortgage payment can be used to subsidize the mortgage payment in the place that you move to. I was just thinking that speaking as, as a Gen Xer, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in that exact scenario. I live in a very nice part of, you know, the Inland Empire of Corona. And, but for me, like I was thinking, you know, as Bruce gets creative, like where's the incentive? Like, uh, you know, like give me a, a zero down program so that I go get that 6%, you know, interest rate somewhere else that, that might offset and, and actually make me want to do that at, mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, there are some opportunities there. The other thing that really changed over time when I bought my home, you know, I certainly wasn't thinking about this, but I think the average length of stay was four years, four Mm -hmm. to five years. That's grown to about 13 without the benefit of having a mortgage that starts with a two or a three. Right. So that no way that's going to go down. That's going to stay there or go up. Yeah, the, the only thing that would uh, alter that is mortality for the boomers absolutely, and, and mid-career moves for the Gen Xers. But again, we yeah. talked about that might not make that home available. It just may make it a rental. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. on the uh, but Florida on the back end, and I have seen those statistics that after another 10 years, I think you're tossing out twenty five to 30,000 houses a year that are no longer have an owner. Well, that's that that is a possibility. And that there was some discussion that that might happen to the boomers suburban four bedroom homes because the the next generation was having less children. Well, now if you're uh, two things, one is uh, house prices today expect two full incomes that the level of price now reflects the full participation of women in the workforce. So house prices have adjusted to accommodate that uh, income, uh, that social structure of incomes. So when you go to the work from home, now, whereas you might only have one child, you may have two jobs. So you need a parent bedroom, a child bedroom, and maybe one or two offices. So the discussion of those suburban four-bedroom Uh, homes has really disappeared. You don't hear much discussion of that today. So the question is, what's the, for the next generation, is there something like that that holds true? How do you feel the employment situation? I I haven't read a book that I want to. It's basically talking about why are there so many millions of adult working age people on the sidelines? They're not even looking. So they're not part of the percentage, let's say, you know, of unemployment, because they're just, they're not even counted anymore, because they don't have any intention to find a job. Right. Who are they? How does that work? That uh, you can see that in the decline in the labor force participation of working age men. And so part of that has been attributed to the opioid uh, issue. Oh, Um, wow. Uh, um, there's been various uh, 
um, issues, mental health issues, things like that are some of the explanations, but I don't think there's a single concise uh, view of why exactly all that has happened. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty strange phenomenon to have that many people just not work. You're going. Well, that's heck? right, and and it also has affected age, lifetime, life expectancy. Uh, life expectancy has uh, lowered a little bit, uh, mainly in response to that. Okay. <clears throat> so, what category, either long or short term, does the Fed? concentrate on to say, okay, we're, this is the direction of our next decision. Well, the thing they've spent the most time focusing on is employment. Uh, so when last Friday's employment numbers came out, the market took a little while to sort through uh, what to make of that because it had some mixed components. The February and March uh, estimates were revised downward pretty significantly, but the April numbers were stronger than expected, uh, quite a bit stronger than expected. The, the part-time work fell off uh, significantly. That's often viewed, part-time employment is often viewed as uh, if it's increasing, companies are testing whether they're going to need another full-time employee. So they hire somebody part-time first before converting them to full-time. Mm -hmm. If it goes the other way, if there's a reduction in part-time labor, then it suggests they're thinking they're, they don't need as much labor and things are slowing down. So that actually fell. So that suggested weakening uh, combined with the revision downward of February and March, those three things aligned. But the headline growth in April of employment, the stability of the workforce participation rate, and the growth, the actual increase in compensation, worked against the Fed, which all of those things, of course, came out after the Fed's meeting. So the Fed wasn't didn't have that data in front of them when they made their decision. But I suspect that Powell felt that justified the approach that he took in the press conference, uh, that that mixture of things supported his point of view. Okay. Can I, can I ask a question about... <laughs> That, that employment number, um, does it factor in the type of jobs or the types of uh, careers that younger kids or, you know, younger adults are choosing to, like, for example, it influencers, does. you know, digital marketers that are freelancers, you know, there's so much of that going on, everybody doing side gigs. And so they're not an actual employee of a, of a company. Does that factor into those, those unemployment numbers? It does. They, they, there's actually several different categories of employment that they report. The one that the press always uh, cues on is the is the three uh, the the third, which is the the biggest, most aggregative measure of employment. It's called payroll. Um, that's the one that the press uh, focuses on uh, primarily. But there are additional measures that they that they release. The um, over time, the core measure that the press talks about has 
achieved the primary status because it seems to be the best measure over longer periods of time. It is true that, the, that there's still some uncertainty about self-employment uh, and gig employment, but the Labor Department has been doing research on that and attempting to get better statistics. To your, to your point about how that shows up in compensation, you will see if you plot average hourly earnings, of, uh, which are released monthly, over the course of the pandemic, there's a huge spike upwards in average hourly earnings. That's because the job category where the employment losses were the greatest was in the services sector, which is in general lower compensation than the professional and business uh, employment uh, numbers. So when you re remove from the denominator the a high share of low wage jobs, the average that remains goes way up. If that if that makes sense. Yeah. And and the reason that the service sector workers lost their jobs was because they work in restaurants and sporting events and airplanes and hotels and places where people congregate. And of course, people stopped doing that when the virus hit. So lots of those. And, and the housing issue there is the homeownership rate of service sector employees is only 40%. Okay. So part of the reason you saw the spike in house price was the payroll protection program was for salaried workers who were in categories where they could potentially buy homes. And you saw this huge transfer of funds, which showed up in a significant increase in demand while supply didn't move at all necessarily. Then spike, there was a price and spike in price. Okay. <clears throat> going, going forward, you know, what's, what's next? Do you see that we're going to have a recession by the end of the year? We've had in our forecast for about this time for us to see a recession. We put it last April into this year's forecast, expecting uh, we would see a mild recession. By mild, I'm about a half a percentage point decline in GDP the second half of this year uh, before recovery beginning maybe the second or third quarter of next year. How do you think so, the Fed Fed reacts interest rate wise? So if they think, let's say they yeah let's say they're currently at whatever the five and a quarter. Where do you think changes? Right now, our our formal forecast, <coughs> excuse me, sure. which we're working on updating uh, today and tomorrow. Our formal forecast at the moment has the Fed holding interest rates where they are until December of this year, in which time they would cut one quarter point uh, because that recession would be underway. But we are taking Powell at his word based on what I said to you earlier about the double dip risk and about the Greenspan put risk that he has been explicit that we will hold rates higher longer than you think. So the market keeps saying the Fed's going to cut three times in the second half of the year. We don't buy that. We think Powell means it. What about the stability of well, you have a recession? So the stability of the real estate market as far as concern about a glut of foreclosures and is that 
probably very unlikely to occur because of also, it looks like we have still a lot of reserves in the bank. Well, the, the uh, rise in foreclosures is unlikely primarily because there's so much equity in homes that uh, if you are in trouble and not going to be able to sustain it or sustain your mortgage or get some sort of a restructuring, you'd be able to do a pre-foreclosure sale uh, and retain some of that uh, equity rather than going through a foreclosure. And to this point, the GSE um, data don't show any significant change in uh, delinquency. Mm -hmm. FHA delinquencies have risen, uh, but uh, the quality of underwriting has been pretty strong. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always enjoy talking with you. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's a pleasure. I Likewise, I always enjoy the conversation. You bring good questions to the table. It's fun to have a discussion. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.